0: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Today is Tuesday, November the 26, 2019, in the year of our Lord. Today on November 26, 2000, Florida Secretary of State Catherine Harris, she certified that George W. Bush is the winner over Al Gore in the state's presidential balloting. Bush won by 537 votes out of how many millions? I don't know how many millions Florida would have cast, but a lot. I think we all remember that. That was the hanging chads and the dimpled um, little places on the ballot that didn't get pushed all the way through. It was unbelievable. We learned words we'd never heard before, right? Anyway, today they settled it. November 26, 2000, Bush became president of the United States on that election. Today in 1789, Americans observed a day of Thanksgiving. It's set aside by President George Washington to mark the adoption of the Constitution of the United States. I'm going to be talking a little bit more about some of these things on Thanksgiving Day, looking at Thanksgiving both from a spiritual point of view for sure, but looking at it a little bit historical as well. I think you'll find that um, interesting, some of our comments, I found them interesting as I was preparing them. So we'll be talking about some of that and this in particular on, um, on Thanksgiving Day, a couple of days from now. Today in 1842, the founders of the University of Notre Dame, they arrived at the school's present-day site near South Bend, Indiana. And today in 1863, the first national Thanksgiving was celebrated. Today in 1941, U.S. Secretary of State Cordell Hull He delivered a note to Japan's ambassador to the United States. It was setting forth U.S. demands for lasting and extensive peace throughout the Pacific area. On that same day, today, November 26, 1941, that same day, the Japanese Naval Task Force that consisted of six aircraft carriers left Curl Islands. Guess where where they were headed for? You guessed it. You knew it. Hawaii. It would take them several days to get there, but we all remember and have heard about that fateful day at Pearl Harbor. Today, in 1942, I was reminded. It just I was reminded as I was reading this earlier this morning. I was, I was thinking Jesus Himself in His teaching talked about peace, peace, and sudden destruction. There always seems to be a lot of talk about peace before sudden destruction happens throughout history. Today in 1942, Warner Brothers, they gave the world premiere of the motion picture, Casablanca. It premiered in New York. still plays endlessly on cable television. Today, in 1950, China entered the Korean War. They launched a counteroffensive against soldiers from the United Nations, the U.S., and South Korea. And today, in 1973, President Richard Nixon's personal secretary, Rosemary Woods, you may remember that name, she told the federal court that she'd accidentally caused part of an 18-and-a-half-minute gap in a key Watergate tape. Five years ago today, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg had some pains in her chest. She went to the doctor and had a heart stent implanted. That revived talk five years ago today about how long the 81-year-old liberal jurist would be able to stay on the Supreme Court. Well, they're still talking about that. More recently, she has been suffering from cancer. I think it's pancreatic cancer, if I'm not mistaken. She's been in and out of the hospital. She fell recently and um, hurt herself. She was in the hospital for a while with that. I think she just got out of the hospital. I don't know if she's returned to the bench yet, but she's been suffering with very extreme health. But there's a lot of conversation about that, of course, because should she no longer be able to serve on the Supreme Court, that would give (laughs) horror of horrors would give Donald Trump, President Trump, another opportunity to choose another conservative constitutionalist for the Supreme Court. There's a lot of angst about that on the left, I will tell you for sure. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is doing all she can to uh, hang in there. She said, I will not die, I will not leave until somebody from the Democratic Party replaces Donald Trump. Boy, what a motive motivation to live. I mean, I don't know. I, it seemed, I guess that's her life. Anyway, it's important to the country who sits on the Supreme Court. So far in the 2020 election cycle, I was looking at this. I just found it amusing. I, I'll pass it along to you. It's something you could live without knowing, but you might find it interesting. So far in the 2020 election cycle, the top 17 candidates Getting uh, campaign contributions from Walt Disney Company employees and bosses, but not corporate executives. This is not them. These are bosses and you know, but it's the families and employees, employees and their family members that work for the Disney Corporation. Probably the people Mickey Mouse you see running up and down the street, all those folks that are that are employees. They. boy, they're pretty committed to the Democrats. I mean, that may be the happiest place on earth, but you kind of begin to see why Disney, on the one hand, kind of presents itself as it used to be with Walt Disney, very family conservative, but now you see repeatedly, pretty consistently, they Disney is always in kind of in the trenches with, the far left the progressive so-called progressives that are really regressive but i looked at this list of their contributions and the first the first 17 donors political candidates for uh, giving to political candidates from the disney employees and their family members are all they've given it all to democrats the first republican shows up at number 18 And guess who that is? President Donald Trump. They've given him $12,565 as opposed to Senator Kamala Harris. She's from California, but they've given her $123,295 for her presidential outing. But number two on the list is Mayor Pete Buttigieg, $84,582. Number three is Elizabeth Warren. Number four is Bernie Sanders. Number five is Gary Peters, and somebody would say, "Hey, wait a minute, what about Joe Biden?" Yeah, he's on the list too. He's number six. They've given him thirty-four thousand nine hundred thirteen dollars. Then it goes on down the line. A couple of other um, presidential candidates here. I'm seeing um, Amy Klobuchar, and then it's mostly local. Adam Schiff uh, is—he's from California. He's on there. They've given him thirteen thousand nine hundred twenty-five dollars. Anyway, President Donald Trump is number 18, and he's the first Republican that shows up on that list where the money from the employees of Disney is going. I don't know if you wanted to know that today or not, but I thought it was kind of interesting. I got this letter. It says, Gary, (laughs) thank you so much for your ministry. With all the lies and twisted truths we're bombarded with daily, it's harder to find and seek the truth. I look to your ministry as my main source of God's truth and our daily pursuit of truth. I pray that God will continue to bless your ministry, keep you strong and protected under his wings. As a 69-year-old Vietnam veteran, I really enjoyed your Veterans Day message. Even as a 21-year-old kid, I realized that war was game-playing in order to line somebody's pockets, but, he says, I'm still a proud deplorable. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. We try to put out the truth every day as best we can and pray that God will help us and guide us and direct us. And we do sincerely pray before all of these programs. This is not just something we do. It's something I feel very, very strongly about, or I wouldn't do it at all. Those who know me personally know that to be true. If God isn't leading me to do something, we've spent our life that way. Marjorie and I have often talked about the ministry been in it since I was a youth pastor as a kid, and then a pastor in Ballard and other places in in Oregon and California, but you know, I I know the ministry is a career, and I, I don't say this in any way critically, but I grew up in church, my grandparents were Christians, evangelical Christians, their parents were, so church has been a part of my life generations back. Same with Marjorie, my wife. But I will tell you that I've observed in my life that the more that a pastor or a preacher sees his calling as a career, it tends to make decisions for you that sometimes you ought not to make, I think. I can't speak for anyone else that I don't want to, but I can speak for myself. We have always seen our lives, my wife and I, as a calling, not a career. And there is a difference. And because of that, that leads me to say certain things on the air that I wouldn't say otherwise because they need to be said. And if if it costs to say them, then so be it. But some of you, many of you recognize this and you indicate it or touch on that in the notes that you write. And I want to thank you for that because if you know that, you know how to pray for us. Because yes, there is resistance to what we're doing. There is. And it rears its head often and in different ways. But we're not doing this to be controversial. We're doing it out of a deep heart of conviction. And so we do it every day. And you allow us to do it by your support. I can't find the words to adequately express how deeply I appreciate all of you who support this ministry. Our address is box 399 Bellevue, Washington 98009. Box 399 Bellevue, Washington 98009. And speaking of Kamala Harris, boy, you got to know this. She, she was talking yesterday. She said, I have a plan uh, if I become president, and she believes she will, She said, I have a plan to reduce drug prices. Well, anybody, I mean, especially as you get older, if you're over 40, that catches your attention. Yeah, I don't want to pay more money for drug prices. Some of them are through the roof anyway, and there's been a lot of abuses in drug prices. I mean, everybody knows that. So she was playing off that, but she said, so essentially, she told this group she was talking to, so essentially what we're going to do, and she said, you can visit my website if you will and If not, you can get some documents. But she said, essentially, what we're going to do is set drug prices so that American consumers are charged a price for drugs. That's the average price that's being charged around the globe. And she said there's a huge difference. Insulin being an example. She went on and on about insulin. She said the other thing is is this, and this is what I wanted to to leave with you on this subject. She said if people don't want to cooperate with that, meaning the drug companies... She said, I'm also going to do the next thing, which is this. A lot of drugs, prescription medication was born out of federal funding for the research and development of that drug, your taxpayer dollars. So, she said, for any drug where they failed to play by our rules, she said, if that drug came about by federal funding for what's called R&D, <laughs> yeah, we know, Camilla what R&D is, research and development. She explains all that. She said, I will snatch their patent so that we will take over their product. Now you think about that for a moment. And to the person who has become dependent on the state, oh, you say, good news, joy to the world. But I will tell you, that's what Castro does. That's what that guy in Venezuela has been doing. That's what communism always, uh, they always do that. They begin to snatch property, They begin to snatch freedoms, and they begin to snatch intellectual properties. Now, I'm not a voice for the drug companies. I mean, there are abuses, obviously. There needs to be reform in the pharmaceutical industry. But I'm telling you, that kind of reform, she probably won't be president. And frankly, I don't want to take the time to go into it, but frankly, she can't do that. I mean, even Barack Obama couldn't do that. He was slicker than she is. A president can't do that under our Constitution. But she's promising people she will. And it's in her heart and mind for sure. And I think when you look at that stage with all those people lined up there, every one of them believe in their heart they're going to be the next president of the United States, the Democrats. That idea is in their mind. And when you begin, on the one hand, you're playing to people who are paying too much for drugs, for medicine, and maybe they... They can't afford it. And they're choosing between eating and buying pills that'll keep them stay alive. When you appeal to them, they're listening. And that is one of the most misleading, malicious, destructive ideas I've heard come out of the mouth of any of these people. And a lot of them are pathological liars. They are. You listen to what they say. You look at the truth. Boom. (laughs) It doesn't connect. That's the problem. That's a human problem. It isn't a political problem. It's not Republican or Democrat or Independent. It's a human problem. We have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. That's the problem. Our founders recognized that when they were setting up this country. They called it an experiment. And it was. There wasn't anything like it in the world. There still isn't. America was based on the fact that our rights are God-given and that we are sinful, broken people, and we must have checks and balances, three branches of government, if you will, to check and balance our brokenness, the fact that we have a propensity toward sin. Jesus Christ forgives us of our sin, comes into our life when we say, Lord, I ask you to forgive my sins. I believe that you are indeed the Son of God, that you are risen from the dead. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you're saved. You become a new creature in Christ. But we do not become perfect, sinless as a result of that. I wish we did. I wish I did. But we aren't. And so these checks and balances have been built into government. To guide us, and the checks and balances were, according to the conversations and the writings back and forth that our founding fathers were doing, it has to do with the fact that they were recognizing our weaknesses, our sinfulness. It's an in, intriguing concept, America. But boy, these people keep—they keep circling the fire, trying to figure out how to put out the fire and remake america what's the matter with them i mean they're they're living the dream whatever their dream is to the extent that they can because of these founding principles all based the founding principles on the word of god and yet the liberals the progressives the far left are out there every day of the week trying to undermine everything that is conservative, everything that is of virtue and value. And some of them are doing it in the name of the Lord. One of them is Pete Buttigieg. He told Rolling Stone magazine, I don't read Rolling Stone magazine, but I I glance at what's in it every month. I glance at what's in a lot of magazines that I don't read. I couldn't care less about them, but I know that millions of other people do read them. In a recent in-depth interview with Rolling Stone magazine, Pete Buttigieg, who has become a frontrunner in Iowa, and he's way up there at the top. He was the second most, uh, the money guy from the employees of, of Disney that's off the list I was looking at, sharing with you a few minutes ago. He told Rolling Stone magazine, he said, Jesus speaks so often in hyperbole and parable, in mysterious code. There's simply no way that a literal understanding of Scripture can fit into the Bible that I find in my hands. Well, the Bible that they find in their hands is one that they are trying to revise, just like they've revised history. They're now revising the gospel, and this puts us in a very precarious situation here in America. The battle for the 2020 election is not political. It's being played out that way. That's the way we see it. It's a spiritual battle. Rolling Stone magazine began their lengthy promotional article with these kinds of comments. and I. generally don't read from anything uh, other than what I may have written to myself here. But the, the the article starts, and as I said, millions of people read this. Since the early stages of his presidential campaign, Mayor Pete Buttigieg has made his Christian faith, Rolling Stones couldn't care less about Christian faith, except as it works to help this guy advance his political career. They like him. He's white, he's smart, He's married to another man. Hey, it doesn't get better than that for these folks. Since the early stages of his presidential campaign, they write, uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg has made his Christian faith a cornerstone, explicitly attacking the idea that Christian and Republican are synonymous terms. I don't know of anybody that's a Republican that actually believes that, but they go around saying that because it fits their narrative. But anyway, I continue. Rolling Stone magazine. Eloquently, he said, they say he eloquently questions the motives of religious leaders who choose policy over morality and who have become Donald Trump's faithful apologists on the national stage. The Republican Party likes to cloak itself in the language of religion. But Buttigieg announced during the second primary debate back in July, this is Rolling Stone magazine, but we should call out hypocrisy when we see it. And for a party that associates itself with Christianity to say that it's okay to suggest that God would smile on the division of families at the hands of federal agents, that God would condone putting children in cages, has lost all claim to ever use religious language again. They go on. Let me share just a little bit more of it, and then I'll I'll move on. Because Again, I don't like to read lots from things, but... They say the pronouncement, and others like it, has gone a long way toward making Buttigieg a front-runner, despite being the only member of the field's top tier who lacked national name recognition at the start of the race. And since becoming a household name, he has leaned into the assertion that a right-wing interpretation of the Bible is not the only interpretation available, and has used Christian scripture and teaching to undercut the very wedge issues that define the conservative voting bloc. More specifically, he has argued that being married to his husband brings him closer to God, that one's view of abortion should not be used by the religious right as a litmus test for one's faith when it's an issue that Jesus never even mentioned, though he did speak abundantly on charity and hospitality, they say. Hospitality is the buzzword for what really happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't want to get distracted because I don't have a lot of time left this morning, but the far-left, the gay, the homosexual movement, for sure, the LGBTQ. But other people as well have bought into this. They say the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not homosexuality. It was inhospitality. That Because they did not invite the men into the house, they, they were not hospitable. And the Bible calls Christians or people of God to be hospitable. Well, that's half true. God does call us to hospitality. That was not the, the inhospitality, was not the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's been books written about it, and this is generally known among the younger generation, and many of them accept that as the truth. They say, well, it had nothing to do with homosexuality. It was about a, a spirit of, of being hospitable, and they lacked that, so God punished them with fire and brimstone. Anyway, oh, I could say much more about that, but we won't, but anyway. The Bible, they say, makes uh, the Bible makes a Christianity, uh, uh, the, the claim that Christianity now disregards. If me, uh, they're quoting uh, Pete Buttigieg here, He Pete Buttigieg says, quoted by Rolling Stone magazine, if me being gay was a choice, it was a choice that was made far, far above my pay grade, that's borrowing from Obama's words. Buttigieg said this spring as a, at a brunch for the LGBTQ Victory Fund, that's... That's the thing I wish the Mike Pence's of the world would understand, that if you got a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. This is a message not by some guy that's going around and is popular on the lecture tours. This is a guy who's now near the top tier of Democratic candidates for the presidency of the United States. You put that together with what you know about history, and that's where we are today. And that's part of the problem that we're experiencing in our country. From being unknown, he has risen in the ranks of the far left to become one of the frontrunners of the Democratic presidential candidates. In the interview, Pete explains that he did not grow up in a religious home. Well, that's true. In fact, his father, and he can he's not responsible for his father, but this should be known. His father was a Marxist professor who spoke fondly of Communist Manifesto and dedicated a significant portion of his academic career to the work of the Italian Communist Party founder, Antonio Gramsci. He was a part of the Marxist movement that came westward and transformed Marxism into cultural Marxism. This guy, Pete Buttigieg's father, a professor, far left, probably an atheist, he was one of the great supporters of that. In fact, he was president of the regional club or organization of Gramsci. That's a fact. He was an advisor to the magazine, the periodical Rethinking Marxism. It was an academic journal that published articles that seek to discuss, this is what they say of themselves, we seek to discuss, elaborate, and or extend Marxian theory. He was a leader in the Marxist movement in America. Well, maybe Pete got religion and changed. I don't know what Pete thinks about that, but I do know that he's right. His father wasn't religious. He says the Republican Party likes to cloak itself in the language of religion. We should call out hypocrisy when we see it. He lives in darkness. He does not understand. We are not supporting the the Republican Party because we are cloaking ourselves, and the Republican Party cloaks itself in religion. The Republican Party has embraced values and principles that we feel are more close to the values that we believe in would give our lives for the values of the Bible itself. These guys don't have a clue because they live in darkness. This is some kind of a new gospel that they're putting out there. It's a selective gospel. How is enforcing our borders immoral and abortion is not? And yet that's what they believe and they espouse. Biblical Christians have believed for 2,000 years that God himself has already decided how to handle this situation of life. God is pro-life. He knew us when we were formed in our mother's womb. Before we were formed in our mother's womb, he had a plan for our lives. These people are so far out. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians because they were experiencing some of this kind of thing in their own church and in their sphere of living. Paul said to them in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. This is a another gospel, I will tell you. And the Bible speaks very strongly to this, and they can think it's speaking in secret code and all the stuff they want to think, but at the end of the day, every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow before Jesus Christ. Because he is Lord. I know this isn't a popular message, but it's the truth. It's not my truth, it's God's truth. So we need to be aware, we need to be informed. Hey, thank you for being with me today, it's always a pleasure. I'll see you right here tomorrow.